The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 32. They'd banish us, you know. July, 2002. There are a few things worse than waking up in the hospital. One of the only things worse than waking up in the hospital is waking up in the hospital with no idea of how you got there. I rolled over and felt the bed squeak under my weight. My bed didn't normally squeak like that. That wasn't right. Also, my sheets didn't usually feel like some strange combination of sandpaper and plastic. I tried to open my eyes, but found that they were unusually heavy and it was dark in the room. Where was I? Why was it still dark? I never woke up before my alarm. For a brief moment, I was terrified that I had teleported again. How crazy was my life that teleportation was the thing that made the most sense in the moment? When I tried to sit up, though, an intense pain shot through my spine. I was lying on my back, and I never sleep on my back. My eyes begin to adjust to the darkness, and I realize that the room was totally unfamiliar. It smelled like plastic, and there was a single window with a crooked blind. There was also a TV up in the corner, which didn't seem like something anyone I knew would have in their house. In fact, I was beginning to suspect that I wasn't in a house at all. The plastic smell turned into something more antiseptic. The whole place smelled sterile in a way that twisted my stomach. I was about to try to get out of bed and look for light of some kind when I turned my head and saw Sam in the corner. He was lying on an air mattress, and from the way his hair fell over his eyes and his mouth hung halfway open, I was pretty sure he was asleep. I blinked rapidly, trying to figure out where I was and how I got here. The fact that Sam was here ruled out teleportation, I think. I searched my brain for anything to tether me to the events of the last few days, but it was like waking up from a dream. I couldn't piece any of it together. Sam, I said quietly. My voice didn't come out right. It sounded like I had swallowed a handful of sand the night before and let it sit in my windpipe until just now. What happened last night? My head was killing me and my throat felt like I hadn't had anything to drink all week. I coughed and tried again. Sam, I said. He shifted, but didn't wake up. Sam. My voice cracked again, but this time it came out loudly enough that Sam heard it and woke up. He sat up, turned to look at me, and blinked. His hair looked like he had just walked out of a wind tunnel, and his brain didn't seem far behind, to be honest. You're awake, he said after a moment. Something seemed to snap inside his head. He jumped up off the mattress and walked over to my bed. I realized then that my bed was weirdly tall and that it had rails. What is this? Some kind of kid bunk bed? 
I said. He laughed. No, you're in the hospital. Sam fumbled around on the nightstand for something, and I realized that there was some kind of button with an orange light radiating from it. He picked it up and pushed the button. I'm just calling the nurse, he said. How are you feeling? The nurse? How am I feeling? Everything hurt. My mind was racing, and I couldn't remember anything. How did I end up in a hospital? Last thing I remember, I was driving to Mugsuvius with Sam and Crown. Had I fallen asleep in the car? Gotten in an accident? Even if I did, how did I wake up here? For the moment, I ignored the physical pain and told Sam, I can't remember anything after we drove to get Lana. Is she okay? Is everyone okay? Sam's face went still. His mouth twitched like he was trying to figure out if I was joking or not. I didn't quite blame him. I'm definitely the kind of person who would totally make a memory loss joke. But I wasn't joking this time. I'm serious, dude, I said. What happened? Sam started to answer, but the nurse arrived before he could. The young man gave a warm greeting and turned on a dimmer switch, bathing the room in something that barely registered as light. My eyes were grateful for the gradual brightening, though. He handed me a mauve-colored plastic cup full of ice chips. Good to see you up and about, Miss Romeo, he said. What do you mean? I asked. Have I been not awake for a while? The two exchanged glances, and the fact that they had found enough time to communicate through glances alone should have been enough of a clue for me to figure out that I had been here for a while. Still, when the guy, whose name was James, said I had been in a coma for three days, I nearly spit out my ice chips. James and Sam tried to explain everything that had happened in the last couple days, They explained that Crown and I got in a car wreck while we were driving home from visiting my friend at work. That didn't add up. We hadn't been visiting Lana. I figured Sam must be talking generically to keep James in the dark. They gently prodded various aspects of my memory for a few minutes, but when nothing came of it, James finally headed for the door. I know you probably have a million questions right now, James said. You must want to work through everything that happened, but ironically, what you really need right now is rest. He glanced at Sam. The doctor will be in soon. After that, make sure you let her sleep. Later, I would wonder about the sort of small-town protocols that allowed my next-door neighbor to crash my recovery room in spite of the fact that he wasn't related to me and I hadn't given any kind of permission for him to be here. It wasn't that I minded Sam being there. I was glad he was here. But it was weird. As soon as James left, Sam turned to me, urgent. You're faking this, right? He said. I stared at him. Being in a coma? No. No, not that part. The part about not remembering anything. You're faking it because it's too much to explain? No, I shook my head. I'm not faking anything. 
I remember seeing the monster with you and going to the arcade with Crown. And then I remember going to get Lana from Mugsuvius, but that's it. I I think I remember getting out of the car. He dropped back onto his bed and the air mattress flapped up on either side of him under his weight. He let out a long breath and clasped his hands together over his knees. Oh boy, he said. Sam spent the next 15 minutes grilling me over exactly what I did and didn't remember. At first, I felt anxiety and panic over the fact that I couldn't remember the last few days. After a while, though, it shifted to something else. I started to feel embarrassed of all things. What was wrong with me? How could I have missed all of this? Sam explained that I had gone upstairs to see if Lana was there while Crown looked in the storeroom and Sam went to check out by the car. We were in a hurry to get her and so we decided to split up. Rookie Scooby-Doo mistake, I said. Yeah, that's, that's what you said then too, he said. That sobered me up a little and I listened to him tell the rest of the story. You found her upstairs, Sam said. But by the time you got back down, the monster had found us. Crown and I both took a stab at it, literally, but it didn't really do anything. And that's when you came flying around the corner in my car. You rammed right into that thing and skewered it on a tree branch. It was very cool, actually. Wow, my proudest moments and I don't even remember it. I said. My spine was still on fire. I realized that I probably should have mentioned that to James. Part of me wanted to curl up in a ball and try to go back to sleep, but unfortunately I didn't feel the tiniest bit tired. What time is it anyway? I said. Sam checked his watch. 3.45. So I've been asleep for... Almost exactly 72 hours, he said. I thought I detected a pinch of residual stress in his voice. For my part, I couldn't fathom that I had been lying here sleeping in a hospital bed for three days. What else might have happened while I was out? How did they wrap up the monster situation? Shouldn't there be a giant corpse dominating world news right now? I have a lot of questions, I said. Sam nodded and held up a hand. Which we will get to, he said, but James is probably right. You should probably get some sleep. Even though my brain was racing, I found that I was indeed unfocused and having a lot of trouble honing in on any one thing. The conversation with Sam felt interesting and important, but somehow the metallic balloon tethered to the vase of flowers on my nightstand was feeling equally riveting. The whole world had a bit of a tilt and a stutter to it, as if I were experiencing some sort of vertigo. Did I hit my head? I asked. The doctors say no, Sam replied in a tone that made me think he thought it was weird. Then why did I feel like my head was swimming? Why couldn't I remember? I laid back down, my body feeling like it was running on a caffeine high while my brain felt weighed down by one too many drinks. The next time I woke up, 
The sun had risen and there were totally different people in my room. The air mattress in the corner had been turned into something of a couch with Sam's sleeping bag rolled up on one corner and a blanket spread over the whole thing. Lana was sitting on the bed, gluing newspaper clippings into what looked like an old school scrapbook. Crown stood at the window. He had propped a laptop on the windowsill and was using it like a desk. There she is, Crown said without turning around. I assumed he had seen my reflection moving on his laptop screen, but I couldn't be sure he wasn't just some sort of witch. Lana looked up and a wide grin spread across her face. It made me smile too. I was happy to see her here. And I was happy that she didn't appear angry. Apparently, actually seeing a monster had convinced her I wasn't trying to pull a giant prank on her. Guess that thing was good for something. What are you guys doing here? I croaked and cleared my throat. Sorry. What are you guys doing here? Sam says you don't remember anything from Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, Lana said. We want to help you piece everything back together. I nodded. Great. Uh, first question. Is the monster, like, all over the news? Why haven't I seen anything? Crown and Lana exchanged a look. Not quite, she said. My heart sunk. We had gone through so much trouble to expose the threat. What happened? Why not? Even if my friends wanted to keep the creature a secret, I couldn't imagine how they could have managed it. Giant carcasses lying in the middle of the street at the tail end of tourist season usually don't go unnoticed. At the very least, there must have been some early morning shop owner with a camera phone out there. Crown walked over to my bed, holding his phone out for me to see. We got you straight to the hospital, he said. But after that, Lana and I went back to make sure we got some good photos of the thing. I nodded. Obviously, they would want that. Crown held out his phone. I noticed Lana lean forward in anticipation. She must know what he was going to show me. The photo, though small, clearly depicted a puddle of dark goo and nothing else. By the time we got back, it was too late, he said. Turns out the monsters seemed to decompose at a frankly ridiculous rate. My head was still spinning, but... I found that some of the questions were forming easily. What about the photos you got before you left? I asked. And didn't anyone see the thing before it decomposed? Hey, like it or not, camera phones are still pretty rough, Crown said. Nobody in the industry would take these as proof. And yeah, we should have made some calls immediately, but we were preoccupied with, you know, getting you to the hospital. You were still conscious after the accident. Swore up and down that you didn't need an ambulance. We probably shouldn't have listened to you. Lana walked over to the bed and placed the scrapbook on my legs. Even that small pressure sent a wave of pain up through my spine. I gritted my teeth and did my best not to show it. I reached for the book and opened it up to the first page. Immediately I discovered that it wasn't so much of a scrapbook as a timeline. It started with the night of Brad's disappearance. There was the photo that Crown had surreptitiously taken on his phone, 
along with half a dozen articles from the various newspapers. I flipped all the way ahead to the night of the accident. There was one shot of the monster impaled on a branch as thick as my waist, dropping something like blood. I turned the page and found more photos. Crown pointed at one of them. I took that one accidentally when I was trying to use my camera to see around the corner. It didn't work out too great. Sure enough, the photo was a little more than a blur. I could make out the hulking shape of something in the quarter of the frame, but without pre-existing knowledge, I never would have guessed that it was some sort of monster or even an animal, to be honest. There was a weird glare, too. I thought the camera must have picked up some sort of light source and distorted it. The second picture was a lot clearer. It was another shot of the dead monster, this time slumped halfway to the ground, surrounded by glinting headlight glass. Though I recognized the vacant eyes and toothy snout, it really was too dark to make out much detail. Reluctantly, I conceded that someone seeing these photos for the first time could easily be forgiven for thinking they were some sort of prosthetics or movie props. I shrugged and instantly regretted it. You could try to get the tabloids to pick it up, I guess, I said. Crown laughed and then said, how are you feeling anyway? Not great, but also not dead, I said. Mostly my head is killing me. Probably because I haven't had coffee in four days? I'll go find you some, Crown offered, which was exactly what I had been hoping for. Is that a good idea? Lana asked. It is if you don't want me to leave and get it myself, I replied. Crown slipped out of the room, leaving Lana and I to look at the scrapbook. So, I said after a moment, is this enough evidence for you? You gonna leave Burning Rock? Lana didn't look like she was prepared for that question. She sat back for a moment and then said, well, it's, it's plenty of evidence, of course, but I don't think I'm going to leave Burning Rock. That combination of sentences didn't make sense in my mind. That was kind of like saying you are 100% sure your house is haunted by ghosts and demons, but you plan to stay home and kick it for a while. Why in the world would she stay here, knowing those things were on the loose? Lana, to hear Sam tell it, that thing almost killed us all, I said. Well, yeah, but we beat it. You killed it with your car. There's no guarantee there aren't more out there, I said. Of course not, but there's never any guarantee of anything. There's no guarantee I won't get eaten by a shark or mauled by a bear, but I still go down to the ocean and hike in the woods. She had to understand what a ridiculous argument that was. She couldn't really be that dense. As I looked at her, though, I realized that she didn't look like someone who was blissfully unaware. She just looked determined. Crown popped his head in a moment later. He very obviously did not have coffee with him. I forgot to mention this earlier, he said, but your mom and sister are here. December 8th, 1996. When I look back at my teenage years, 
It's like looking through slightly warbled glass into a house with an unfamiliar floor plan. There's so much that I don't want to remember about that era of my life, and sometimes I actually think I've succeeded in blotting out parts of my own memory. I was young when the visit started, when the strange shapes and shadows begin to slide between the wall and the bunk beds my sister and I shared. But for most of my life, I managed to ignore them by just telling myself that they weren't real. When that became impossible, I ignored them by closing my eyes and refusing to open them again until the first rays of morning light touched my eyelids. But one night, all of that changed. June didn't love sharing a room with me. I always understood that. But back then, mom was still working on getting the restaurant going and just trying to keep her head above water long enough to make that happen. June was 17 years old and about to graduate high school. In a month, she would be free and she made sure that I knew it. But the thing was, I didn't want to leave. Not everything at least. Everything came crashing down on that December 8th. I had gone to bed before June because I had a trigonometry quiz first thing in the morning and I wanted to get a few extra minutes of review in beforehand. I was always that kind of kid. The kid who couldn't get a B. I wish I would have realized earlier how little that was going to matter. So I did what I always did. I went to my room, turned on my lamp, turned off the main lights, and then closed my eyes and turned off my lamp so that I never actually had to look at the room in the darkness. And then I waited to fall asleep. Sleep came quickly that night, but... It didn't last. I dreamed a little, and then I woke up to the sound of the door opening. I didn't open my eyes, of course, but I did listen. I listened intently. The old floor creaked under footsteps, and I heard something, probably just June's oversized bathrobe, fall to the ground. She moved to the window, and I heard the whisper of curtains as she pushed them to the side. And then there was nothing. She didn't move again. She just stood by that window. What was she doing? What was she looking at? I felt a little tingle run along my arms, but I didn't dare open my eyes to look. I never did. June, what are you doing? I grumbled. And then I heard June shift on the mattress above me. June was already in bed which meant it was someone else at the window. I froze in place. Cut it out, Ivy. I'm trying to sleep, she said. She shifted again, and then I heard her gasp. Ivy? She whispered. Her voice had gone emotionless. I opened my eyes. I did it against my own better judgment, but I couldn't help it. I had to see what it was. I had to see what had invaded my room. And when I opened my eyes, it was standing there above my bed. It was looking right at me. I don't know how I knew that it was looking at me because it didn't have a face. But it was looking at me. It disappeared a few seconds later, but the damage was done. June saw it too. 
I begged her not to, but she told our mom what we saw. I think she thought that mom and my grandparents would help her figure out a reasonable explanation, but they couldn't because there wasn't a reasonable explanation. So June started to take action on her own. She got a game camera from a friend's dad and put it up in our room. And she got an EMF meter and put tape recorders in the room. And she continued to talk about it. And mom noticed. And on the night when mom came home and found her trying to talk to the things in the room, it wasn't much longer before they sent her away. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>